Welcome to the My Stories Podcast Project, a series created for the NEA Big Read Grant in collaboration with the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and the Library Foundation. NEA Big Read is a program of the National Endowment for the Arts in partnership with Arts Midwest. The novel There There by Tommy Orange and the West End Stories Project podcast are the inspirations behind exploring connections to the history of our neighborhoods through the oral tradition of storytelling. This is an interview with Sybil Daniels, a longtime resident of College Hill in Finneytown, interviewed by Carla Moeller, youth librarian at CHPL North Central Branch. Thanks for listening. We are talking to you, Miss Sybil Daniels from Finneytown, Ohio, and we're going to participate in the My Stories podcast project. So my first question for you is, when were you born? I was born where? Uh, March 14th, uh, 1944, in Detroit, Michigan. And when did you move to Cincinnati? In 1972. So you were already... Uh, went through school. Did, did you attend school in, in Cincinnati or no, college? Every, yeah, every, everything I did uh, was, was in Michigan. Uh, the only okay. schooling that uh, I did in uh, uh, Cincinnati, um, I took uh, courses at UC and Xavier University. That's where I got my uh, PIDEA certification. And then at uh, UC, I took a number of of, uh, of uh, staff development courses to um, upgrade my uh, teaching certificate. And uh, I was working for a short time on uh, certification from K through high school. Um, I, I thought that might be kind of interesting to, you know, have uh, that kind of certification, but... Um, the certification that I, I uh, taught with for the majority of my career was uh, uh, junior high and high school, and then I got a certificate in gifted and talented, and that enabled me to uh, teach in elementary schools for gifted children. And uh, I got kind of fascinated in, in thinking that would be nice to, to have certification, not only in gifted, but in regular elementary education, and I started working on that. What were the schools that you worked at? I started out in um, at uh, Aiken High School as a um, uh, LD tutor, and uh, oh. from there um, I went on to get my um, oh, Ohio teaching uh, credentials, and uh, after I left uh, Aiken High School, um, I went on and I was at Crest Hills. I mean, so many schools, it's ridiculous. I was at Crest Hills, and then I went on to uh, Western Hills and um, and Walnut Hills, Hughes, Dater, Aiken, Riverview East, and I think that's... That, those are all of the schools. I don't, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. And when I was in Michigan, uh, I taught uh, in Flint, uh, Michigan, my first year. And then after I got married, we moved uh, to Kalamazoo. 
and I taught at Kalamazoo Central and um, Portage uh, uh, Northern um, uh, High School uh, when I taught in um, uh, Michigan and also taught in an experimental school um, where they were teaching um, three three year olds to read and write and all of that. That was interesting. Um, Trying to think if that's hmm. everything, but was it and, successful? Yeah, the three-year-old. Yeah, it it really was. Uh, it was a lot of fun because you know at that time they didn't think you know children that learn that young could learn how to read and write. But uh, it was interesting. I don't think the, the it went uh, any you know made a impact because it was from what I understood it was just an experimental school that started in um in Kalamazoo and didn't uh have any uh following uh outside of, of Kalamazoo. I also taught at UC for in Veterans Upward Bound. I forgot that. I taught there um in Veterans Upward Bound. So you moved here with your family. Tell me about um your family life. Did you um like when did you get married, and um, do you have children? Uh, I got married uh, in the '60s, and uh, my uh, former husband was um, in uh, graduate school in Kalamazoo. So after we got married, uh, I moved back to Kalamazoo, and um, uh, I taught um, at uh, uh, in in the high school in, in Kalamazoo, and um, he was in graduate school. And then after, um, well, he went through college on an ROTC scholarship, and so he was obligated to give two years to the military. And mm-hmm. so um, they didn't allow him another deferment to finish up, um, or excuse me, they allowed him another deferment to finish up graduate school. So when he finished getting his MBA, that's when we moved to um, Fort Knox, Kentucky. And uh, we were there for two years. And uh, I didn't teach when I was uh, at Fort Knox. I did a lot of fun things, took painting classes, swimming every day. And um, that's where um, I became pregnant with my first child in um Fort Knox and had the baby at an army hospital, which is a just a really different kind of experience because um, army hospitals are very very small and they don't have a staff, so you don't have all of the um, luxuries and amenities that you have in a, a regular uh, hospital in, in a city. And uh, basically, after you give birth. Um, you have to go to the nursery, get your baby, go to the cafeteria, and and eat. Nothing is brought to you. But with me, uh, after I had my first daughter, as they were wheeling me out of the um, delivery room, I fainted, and so they took oh my me to my room and put me in bed. And I thought everything was okay, so I got up to go to the bathroom and fainted again. And so uh, I was on bed rest, so they brought the baby to me, and uh, they brought meals to me, which was um, completely, you know, 
uh, unheard of because you you had to do everything for yourself if you were uh, a mother who had given birth in an army hospital. So three years later, when I had my twins, uh, which was uh, uh, another uh, interesting experience, one of my dear friends and her daughter were visiting from Kalamazoo, and we were at the entire day plan. Uh, our two daughters were going to go to vacation Bible school, and then we had a babysitter to come in after vacation Bible school because we were going to hit the streets and um, just shop and just have a, a you know a good time. And um, on that particular day, I had a um a doctor's appointment and I thought, uh, you know, maybe I should skip it, but I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and uh go to my doctor's appointment. Got to the doctor's office and was being examined and everybody in the room, the nurse, the doctor and everybody just sort of gasped and, you know, <laughs> just jumped away from me because I was like seven to nine centimeters uh dilated. And I was in labor and didn't know it. And they were terrified that I was going to have that baby there in the doctor's office. So now, I drove myself, and and Betty was with me, drove myself to my doctor's appointment. And when they found out I was in labor, drove back home, called my husband, who was working in Kentucky, hadn't packed a bag, hadn't prepared for anything because... Uh, my delivery date was supposedly July 4th, and it was June 19th. So <laughs> they got it wrong about, uh, you know, the actual – well, no, they really weren't three weeks early. Um, come to find out, once we got to the hospital, I got there in the nick of time, and um, they – when we walked in, the nurse looked, took one look at me and said, she's having twins. And I was just really very angry because I'd been teased for most of my pregnancy about having twins. And I said, no, I'm just having a really big baby. And the reason why I thought that was because they had given me a um, a test to see if I had developed gestational diabetes because I was enormous. I mean, I was mm-hmm. enormous, and they thought something was going on. So they did the test and found, found out I didn't have gestational diabetes. And I said, well, maybe uh, it's just a big baby because my sister's children were nine pounds. She had two boys that were nine pounds. And I said, I'm just probably having a really big baby. So they said, fine. So getting back to June 19th, uh, walked in. And uh, the nurse looked at me and said, you're having twins. And uh, you don't know what you're talking about. So they get me prepped, and uh, they give me an epidural. And I'm not the kind of patient that... Wasn't it too late for an epidural? No, no. I mean, they, you know, they gave me an epidural, and I said, um, I started hyperventilating, and I said, uh Something is going wrong here, you know. So they readministered that. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was falling asleep because it was so relaxing. So they wheeled me into delivery, and um, my son was born first. And then the doctor said to me, um, he had a really heavy foreign accent, 
And he said, prepare yourself, mother. There's another one on the way. <laughs> they had no idea. And, um, you know, uh, that, that I was having twins because throughout the entire pregnancy, they were like, you, you couldn't detect the other baby because huh. of, of how they were positioned. So they never heard Melanie. They just heard Trevor and all that. So, uh, I had a minute to prepare myself for um, the other baby, and by that time they couldn't turn her around, uh, so she was breech. That yeah. is quite a story. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. everything turn out okay in the end? Yeah, everything turned out. She was breech. There was there was no problem. Do you have any big moment stories about? Semitown, um, or the area that you remember, like maybe an event with the kids? At that time, uh, I think we were the only black family on the street. And, uh, as it turned out, the, our, uh, another black family, the Cornwells had moved in and, um, the, we met them and they were really nice and all that. So I was in a, in a pinch, and so I asked uh, Sandra Cornwell if she would babysit um, Stephanie. So Mm -hmm. she agreed, so I had a babysitter, so I didn't have to miss work. And then later on, now her kids were all, like, in high school, and so they they babysit, babysat for, basically were Stephanie's uh, older brothers and, and sister. They had uh, two girls and a, uh, and a son. And so the Cornwell kids became like, uh, my children's, uh, aunts and uncles, you know. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, they were really, really close. So anyway, um, Sandra and James had gotten married fairly early and they were approaching, uh, the empty nest stage. And I thought, that is so great. They are, so young, there's so much that they can do, and their their kids are you know out of the house. Well, then I got pregnant with um, the twins, and Sandra was the type of person that loved babies, and I think I'm not sure, and I've never asked her, but she wound up getting pregnant. Oh my and gosh! I, and why in the world are you doing this to yourself? You know, you're young. Your kids are out of high school and in college and all this. But anyway, she had um, uh, a child after uh, I had my twins and, and all of that. And I just thought that was really weird. But they became uh, sort of our Cincinnati. We didn't have family in Cincinnati, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, my family, my the, my growing up situation was so toxic and horrible uh, and all that. So I didn't. we didn't have a lot of support from my side of the family other than financial. Um, and my parents didn't like my husband. They didn't like him at all. Now, on his side of the family, um, his mother was the most amazing person Um uh, she absolutely adored all of her grandchildren. She was um uh hands on grandmother. She was just really, 
really, really great. But unfortunately, um, she died when I think the Stephanie must have been five and the twins three. Um, but she died, and she would have been the most wonderful. She was the most wonderful grandmother, but they didn't have enough time to really get to right. know her. You know, they were little people and all that, but she was just, uh, Ty's mother was just fabulous. Um, so the the I call them my Cincinnati family because my parents didn't pay very much attention to my children um, or me, actually. In all of the years that we've lived here, my parents visited maybe, I know, under a half a dozen times. You know, they would go to Europe yeah. and spend two or three months in Europe and this, that, and the other and couldn't take the time to spend a week in Cincinnati visiting us or uh, have my children uh, visit them in Detroit for a week or a summer or anything. That's a whole other story. Wow. I mean, you know, one story leads into uh, a tangent to another story. Everything, oh, you know, know. Yeah. really needs to be sequenced out because I'm going back and forth and I hope I'm not being Oh, no, it. it's wonderful. Yeah, no, I love hearing about it. Yeah, but, but um, uh, uh, people in, in Cincinnati um, that became like surrogate family because... Well, thank you for talking to me. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Like I said, I have I have dog stories, I have people stories, I have uh, I know, they're great stories too. You know, growing up stories, um just all kinds of, of um, you know been in the world a long time and have done uh, a lot of things and just it's been been a a fun ride. It's been been interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so if Okay. We, you need more stories. I've got <laughs> okay, I will definitely. Okay, well, one of the things uh, you you might want to backtrack because I've been uh, here in this this neighborhood what from 1972. Um, yeah, and how how things have changed. Um, if you go along North Bend Road, there was. Um, a bakery, uh, dry cleaner, the the uh, the, the uh, bookstores, uh, mm-hmm. up in Brentwood, the complexion of the merchants, the the types of different merchants, I think reflect not only income but interest. Uh, it's mm-hmm. so hard to find a bookstore anymore. When we first moved here, there, you know. Um, I didn't use the library. I, you know, I, I did use the library, but I bought books until it got to the point where I thought, you know, your whole house is going to be a library. You need to just stop buying books and, and, and use the library um, more. The the number of um, businesses, um, like having a, a bakery you could walk to or things that you could walk to, you know, uh, I miss those things. And Hamilton Avenue used to be so wonderful. There was the theater there. Um, mm-hmm. 
fabric store. And when I had my my uh, first child and we only had one car, I would walk from Kingsford all the way past the library to Hamilton Avenue, go to the fabric store, do this, you know, have her in a stroller, and we would walk that that long distance because I didn't have a car and, you know, whatever. But uh, I miss the... Um, the diversity of um, the number of, of nice small businesses, especially a theater up there was so nice. They had that church there where they be. And uh, I used to get my hair done on Hamilton Avenue. So Hamilton Avenue, as far as businesses are concerned, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of sad. You know, we used to go to the dollhouse. Uh, after church, uh, a lot of times on Sunday, a nice little family restaurant, wonderful food, um, and all of that. So I've seen um, a change in retail places uh, over the years. It's been distressing. Um, but pretty much, I think that's one of the biggest disappointing changes. Um, yeah. In, in the neighborhood, but other than that, it's it seems like it's pretty stable. Uh, I'm not happy about those big apartment buildings uh, that are going up on Hamilton. I don't know what that's a community um, and all that. So, and when I lived in College Hill, I participated in the College Hill Forum. Uh, you know, um, and I do somewhat the same thing here. Uh, in Finneytown, but not as conscientious uh, in, in terms of um, participating in township or local uh, politics and all, and I probably should get back. Thank you, Sybil. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this interview for the My Stories podcast project. It is part of the NEA Big Read Grant presented by CHPL and the Library Foundation. NEA Big Read is a program of the National Endowment for the Arts in partnership with Arts Midwest. It was co-produced by Carla Muller and Steve France, CHPL videographer. Discover more podcasts at chpl.org podcasts.